Well, hey, and welcome to the Quad City Podcast, where we are on mission to make more and better disciples of Jesus everywhere, always. We're so glad you're joining us in that today. Well, before we dive into today's sermon, would you do me a quick favor? Would you go ahead and open your app store and search Quad City Christian Church? Download our app because it's the best way to stay connected with what's happening here at Quad City. If you're new, joining us for the first time, click that new here form as we'd love to reach out and connect with you. You can also submit prayer requests and even give on that same app. It's the best way to stay connected here at Quad City. Well, hey, now that that's out of the way, let's go ahead and dive into our sermon from Sunday. We hope you enjoy. Welcome. My name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are honored that you've chosen to start your week off by worshiping with us here at Quad City Christian Church. I want to welcome all of those who are joining us online from whenever and wherever you are. So grateful to have you as a part of our church family. And I also want to welcome in all of those who are worshiping with us at uh, Glassford Hill Middle School in Prescott Valley. So grateful for you today and welcome you uh, to the teaching of God's Word this morning. If you're a newcomer with us, so glad that you're here. You are jumping into a series that we're calling The Gospel for Everyone, where we are working our way through the book of the Bible called Romans. And we are in week nine. And so you are kind of jumping in midship here. Uh, invite you to go back to our website or our app or the YouTubes or wherever the stuff is. We got podcasts. It's all out there so you can go catch up. They do build on each other throughout the week. And so we encourage you to, uh, to catch up with us. If you are been tracking along with us and you have your Romans notebook, I invite you to go ahead and pull those out. If you do not have the October section of your notebook, you can go ahead and raise your hand. Our ushers will come bring you one. And so those are available. If you don't want to do that today, you can catch them in the lobby on your way out. Uh, But we're going to be in Romans chapter 2, starting in verse 25. And just to catch you up, we're in the part of the book of Romans that we call the bad news, where Paul is just helping us see our sin and see ourselves for who we really are so that the gospel will be all the more glorious when we get to it. Today, he's talking to, in chapter two, he begins talking to the religious segment of the church, those who would come from Jewish descent, who would, who would say that they were followers of God, that they were believers, those who had a religious background. And as we saw last week, his message to those who had religious backgrounds were, you need the gospel too. That's the message. You need the gospel too. We read last week as Paul said to them, sure, you know the word of God. You love the word of God. You believe the word of God. You've memorized the word of God. You like to teach other people the word of God. You lobby for others to obey the word of God. But the problem is you're not actually really obeying it all yourself. Which is why you need the gospel. And sure, you could point to some people out there and say, well, I obey it more than them. That's true. That's true. But, but what Paul's going to say is, um, if you break one law one time, you know what that makes you? A lawbreaker. 
You break one law one time, you are a lawbreaker, which is why you need the gospel too. And then he says to the religious people among us, actually, it makes you worse than those who don't have the law, who don't know better, because you, you know better. Like, you know the word of God, yet you do not obey the word of God. So that makes you worse than a lawbreaker. You know what that makes you? A hypocrite. Because you know better, but you don't do better. That was our sermon last week. It was real fun. So Paul's going to continue down this argument today, talking to the religious people in this church in Rome, and he's going to talk about our obedience to the law and why it matters. Look at verse 25. That's what we're going to pick up. He says, circumcision has value if you observe the law, but if you break the law, you have become as though you had not been circumcised. I don't know if you noticed in our reading today, the word circumcision shows up a lot today. It's a lot. Um, And so we need to talk about circumcision for just a moment. What exactly is circumcision? I have a before and after. (laughs) This is before. This is after. I wanted to do different pictures, but they said legally we can't do that. So the truth is, the truth is the physical component of circumcision really isn't that important to this whole conversation. What is important is what circumcision represented in this culture. Okay, so we got to do a little bit of background work. So we're going to do a step back into Genesis chapter Uh, 17. So this is where circumcision first shows up, okay? So God comes to a man named Abram. He's 75 years old. He's childless. And God says to him, I'm going to make you a great nation. You're going to be the father of a great nation. And all the world is going to be blessed through you. God took Abram outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them pause. Imagine how many stars Abram was able to see in a world without electric lights. And God says to him, just count them if you can. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed God. He believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. This believed the Lord, this is faith. It's faith. He believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham had faith that what God said would happen would happen, even though at the time there was no evidence for it. There was no reason to believe a 75-year-old man married to a barren woman was going to have a baby. But Abram believed God. Now, we're going to come back to this moment of faith in a couple of weeks, but for now, I want to jump forward 24 years. Abram is now 99 years old, and he still does not have the child that God has promised him. He's 99 years old now. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me 
faithfully and be blameless. So this is the, we already had the act of faith. That was the, he believed him, and that was credited as righteousness. He already has faith. Now God says, we're going to take it the next step. There's an expectation that your faith is going to change how you walk. So now I want you to walk faithfully. We could actually call this repentance. Like that's what this is. It is a changing of direction. You were walking one way. Now I want you to walk with me. Walk faithfully before me. Be blameless. It doesn't mean be perfect. That's not what that says. Be blameless. There is this expectation you're gonna, it's gonna change that faith that you had at 75. Now there's an expectation that faith is gonna change how you live. Walk faithfully before me. And then, once you're doing that, then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. So he had faith, believed God, that credited to him his righteousness. And then he says that faith should be reflected in how you're living. So walk faithfully, be blameless, and then I will make my covenant between me and you He says that faith that's on the inside should change what you're doing on the outside. And then he continues. Then God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for generations to come. So this is gonna be an ongoing thing. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Here's what you're gonna do. Every male among you must be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision. Pause. The dude's 99 years old. And he's got to get the snip snip in 99. You are to undergo circumcision and it will be the sign of the covenant. This is an important piece. A sign of the covenant between you and me. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner. Those who are not your offspring, whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant is in your flesh. It is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So there's this connection that God makes between this outward act we call circumcision and the covenant of God. This, this was a sign of the covenant, that moment of circumcision. It was a, a moment where a person was declared in with the people of God. This is the covenant relationship between God and his people. If you did it, you're in. If you don't, you are cut off from his people. This is the covenant. So, the circumcision was the outward sign that you were in with God, that you were a part of the covenant people of God. So, make sure we back up for just a moment. We gotta put all of these things in order because the order matters. Where did it start? It started with faith. Abraham believed God and it was credited with to him as righteousness. And then he walked faithfully. God said, walk, be blameless. And then lastly, then you have the sign of the covenant, which is circumcision. 
And again, I think we could equate it to this is the moment of faith, this is the moment of repentance, and this is the outward sign of that commitment to be a part of the family of God. Now, we could do it this way as well. This faith is what happens on the inside. Circumcision is what happens on the outside. Now, this this moment of walking faithfully, I believe it spans right in the middle. You're thinking, well, how does that work? How does walking faithfully, acting out your faith, how is that an inward? Here's how. Because you know that you can do the exact right thing with the wrong motive, which makes it wrong. You could, you could give to the poor as a, as a show for the people around you, and God says, that doesn't honor me. So you can do the right thing in, with the wrong heart, and it makes it wrong. Which is why this walking faithfully piece, it is both an inside thing and an outside thing. It's both. So, fast forward with me. It's been roughly 2,000 years. You find Paul now talking to this church in the city of Rome. And he, this church, half of this church is made up of physical descendants of Abraham. Like they are Jewish believers. These are descendants of Abraham that when Abraham looked up into that sky and was counting those stars, these people sitting in those chairs in Rome were one of those stars that he counted. Part of this family that God had promised Abraham. And here was the problem though. All of them had been circumcised. Like all of the Jewish believers, they had been circumcised. In other words, they had done step three. They did this one. The issue was they'd skipped steps one and two. They didn't have the faith of Abraham, and they weren't yet walking faithfully with God. They weren't being blameless. So they did the outward thing without doing the inward things. They did the outward thing, but didn't do the inward thing. And they had convinced themselves that we're in. We're in because we did the outward thing. Like, that's how you get into the covenant. That's all it takes. Just do the outward thing. They convinced themselves that's all they needed. Just do the snip snip and you are good with God. Like, that's it. That's it. That's all you got to do. And Paul is telling them here in Romans 2 that that outward thing that you did, it is meaningless unless you do the inward things first. The outward thing doesn't matter unless you do the inward thing. Let me show you where I get that. Go back to our text in Romans. He says circumcision, step three, that outward piece, circumcision has value if you observe the law. But if you break the law, you have become as though you had not been circumcised. Like if you're not following the law, if you're not actually having faith and walking faithfully, then that circumcision piece doesn't matter. Circumcision only has value if you do the first two first. Then it has value. But if you don't do those first two, if you don't do the inward work, then you have become as though you had not been circumcised. You did the snip snip for nothing. You don't do the first two, the last one doesn't matter. He continues. So then, 
If those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? In other words, if those people who didn't know that they were to do step three, if they do steps one and two, he says, won't they be treated like they did step three? Those who are not circumcised, if they keep the law, if they, if they have the faith of Abraham and are walking faithfully like Abraham, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? Will they not be counted as a part of the covenant people of God? The answer is, of course, because the inside stuff matters. If you have faith and are walking faith, uh, faithfully, you do those first two steps, but you didn't know you were supposed to do the third he says, that's fine. Will they not be regarded as if they had done the third step? The one who is not circumcised physically, yet obeys the law, walks faithfully, will condemn you, who even though you have the written code and circumcision, even though you are a lawbreaker, they will condemn you. Like those who didn't do the third thing, but did the first and the second thing, they're gonna condemn you who did the third thing but didn't do the first and the second. You think you're in just because you did the physical thing. That's not how it works. The inward stuff, Paul says, matters more than the outward. The faith and the walking faithfully trumps the physical act of the snip-snip. A person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly, just doing that third step, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is, in, who is one inwardly. You gotta do the inside stuff. And circumcision is a circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. So just doing the outward thing has no value unless you do the inward thing, the inward thing where God is transforming your heart. Paul says the outward circumcision does not make you right with God. It does not make you a Jew. It has to be circumcision of the heart by the Spirit. It is the work of God in you through the Spirit on the inside that makes you part of the covenant people of God. Now that outward sign, it reflects the inward work, but it can never replace the inward work. Don't miss that. That outward sign reflects the work of what God's doing in you, but it will never replace the work of God in you. And when it comes to something like circumcision, I think we all get that. Like that makes sense to us. That circumcision in and of itself does not make anyone right with God. We would all agree with that. I think that makes perfect sense. In fact, statistics say that about two-thirds of all American men have been circumcised. In fact, just to show how many of y'all have been circumcised, just stand up where you are. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Don't do that. But it's true, right? We could, like, two-thirds, and, and we could look at that and say, well, does that mean they're all in? Well, they did the thing. That was what God said. That makes you part of the covenant. You did the snip-snip. Sure, you didn't mean to. Like, it wasn't you who did it. You didn't choose it. You were 
48 hours old and you were sitting there and the doctor comes in and if your little baby mouth could say something, it's like, why are you coming in that knife? What are you doing? Like you didn't want to do it. It had no significant faith practice for you. It was just something that somebody chose to do to you while you were in a hospital screaming at them. You had nothing to do with it. It was just something that happened. There was zero spiritual significance for you. It was just an outward physical act and it was connected to nothing on the inside of your heart. And so we would all say no. Getting circumcised doesn't make you right with God. It has nothing to do with whether or not somebody is in or out of a covenant relationship with God. Because we understand without the inside stuff, that outward stuff does not matter. And just so you know, that isn't just true with your circumcision. It's true with the other outward signs of your faith as well. I want you to listen to what Paul says to a group of Gentile Christians in the church of Colossae. So these are Gentile Christians in the city of Colossae. They're not Jews. They're a part of the church. They're believers in Jesus. And here's what Paul says to these Gentiles. In Jesus, in him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. This wasn't something a doctor did Not by human hands, this is something God did. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Now again, imagine, guys, that you're standing there in the church or sitting there and somebody gets up and reads this and you're thinking, I I was not circumcised by Christ. I think I would remember that. Like they all came to faith as adults. Like there, there was no first... Uh, second generation Christians in this church. They're all first. It's like, when did I get circumcised? But I don't, that, I would remember that. Didn't happen for me. And Paul says, oh yeah, yeah, it did. It, it happened when you were buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So Paul, in this text, draws a line, connects the dots between the circumcision in the Old Testament and baptism in the New. And he says to these Gentile Christians, you were circumcised. You were circumcised when you were buried with him in baptism. Jesus cut off your flesh and he renewed you in your spirit. You were raised through your faith. This is the inside work. It was through your faith. It wasn't just about an external thing that happened. It was about an external thing that reflected the internal thing. You were raised through your faith. It was an act of faith. That's why you get in a baptistry, because you're placing faith in Jesus, in the working of God who raised him from the dead. You were raised through your faith. The outward act of getting dunked in a tank is meaningless without this inside faith. doesn't matter. And again, if I say it out loud, you agree. You know this to be true. We know that baptism, baptism simply meaning the dunking underwater. That's what baptism means. That's the word baptizo, to dip, to plunge, to immerse. The dunking underwater, we know that in and of itself, Dunking someone underwater 
has no bearing on whether or not somebody is in a relationship with Jesus. And here's how we know. Because if being part of the covenant people of God was just about being dunked underwater, then anyone who has ever done a cannonball would be in. Like legit. Like anyone who has an older brother who who dunked you in the pool and held you down till the bubbles stopped, you'd be in. Anyone who's ever been scuba diving would be in. Anyone who's ever washed their hair in a bathtub would be in. Right? If it was just about getting dunked underwater, then anybody who's done that would be in. If it was just about the outward act without the inner faith, then anybody who's been underwater would be in. And we know better than that. None of us would believe that today. That separated from an inner faith baptism, being dunked underwater, it has no purpose. Now, the Jews who are hearing Paul say this, I mean, they're listening and they are flabbergasted. They're like, their minds are blown because they assumed that just because their parents did the thing when they were babies, that they were all set. Like that was all it took. My parents did the thing. Now I'm good. And Paul's saying, no, 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 that's not how it works. And Paul, Paul understands that there's some questions from the audience in Rome. Because he's been preaching this message for about 20 years by the time we get to this part of Romans. So he's preached this message in a lot of synagogues. He's heard all of the questions. And so like a good debater, Paul, in our text, over the next couple of paragraphs, he's going to uh, offer the questions up. He's going to bring them up, and he's going to address them himself. Okay? So like a good debater, he anticipates their question, he raises them, and then he answers them. So here are the questions that he's anticipating from the religious segment of the Roman church. Here's what he says. What advantage then is there in being a Jew? Or what value is there in circumcision? Paul, wait, wait, wait. If, 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 if people who aren't Jews can become just like people who are Jews, if they do the inside stuff, then what good is there in being a Jew? I mean, what good is the snip snip? What good did that do? Why would I, why did I go through that? Why did my parents do that? And you would expect Paul to say, what value is in it? You'd expect, I expected when I read this text, I would expect Paul to say, it isn't any good. It has no value. There's no advantage there. You're asking what advantage is it? There is not. That would seem to me to fit the flow of this argument. There's no advantage. Everybody's on the same plane, but that's not what Paul says. What advantage is there in being a Jew? What value is there in circumcision? What good is it to grow up with those religious rituals and acts? If, it, if you don't need them, what good is it? Paul says, much in every way. What advantage is there? Much in every way. First of all, the Jews have been entrusted with the very words of God. Paul says there are lots of advantages, much in every way. First of all, you as a Jewish person, as a religious person, you were trusted with the very words of God. 
And I don't think we take this seriously enough to understand how amazing it is that you have a Bible in your lap. It is the very words of God. Like when God first revealed himself, he chose to reveal himself and to reveal his plan of redemption through a book, through a set of laws, his expectations he gave to a people, and they were written down. And nobody else on the planet got that except for these Jewish people. God showed up on Mount Sinai, and he literally with his own finger carved out his word in rock so that these people could carry it with them wherever they go. He wrote it down. He entrusted these people with his very word. And that word has been given to each generation over and over and over so that we actually carry in our laps the very words of God. God entrusted his plan of redemption of the world to the Jews. And it was a high honor. The very fact, that very fact, gave the Jews an advantage over us. Do you remember the thesis of the book of Romans? I shared it like, I don't know, six months ago. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Do you remember the thesis? For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. This is the whole point of the book of Romans. To everyone who believes. But then he adds this, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. It is a salvation that is for everyone. It's for everyone. But it was first to the Jews. That is a huge advantage. It was first to the Jews. It was not only for the Jews, but it was first to the Jews. So what advantage was it? Being a Jew meant they were the first people to have hope in the Messiah to come. They had a hope for overcoming the sin that they were dealing with. They had a hope that no other people on the planet got to experience. They had a hope Everyone else in the planet knew that there was a God. We learned that in Romans 1. They all knew it. They could see it in creation. They knew there was something out there bigger than them. But the Jewish people, they knew his name. God revealed himself to them. They knew his name. And they knew exactly how to live in a way that honored him. Nobody else got that. They didn't know. They had to figure it out. They couldn't figure it out. But because they were trusted with the very words of God, they knew what it meant to honor him, to live in a way that reflected his glory. They were his chosen people, and they were chosen to introduce the rest of the world to this glorious God who had revealed himself to them. Man, that was a high honor that they were given. And frankly, they did not live up to their calling. They weren't the light to the Gentiles that they had been called to be. And they did not introduce the rest of the world to this glorious God. Even now as Paul's writing this, the majority of the Jews alive in Paul's day had rejected the Messiah that God had promised to bring to the world through these people. They rejected him. 
brings us to the second question. Well, what if some were unfaithful? Will their unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? Like, if they didn't do the thing that God had called them to do, does that mean that the promises of God aren't going to come to pass? Will their unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? To which Paul responds, not at all. Let God be true and every human being a liar, as it is written, so that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge. God's promise, his purpose, are not dependent upon anyone's faithfulness except for his own. No one's unfaithfulness can trump God's faithfulness. So all of the promises that God God said would happen will come true. He will fulfill his every promise and every purpose. His promise to send a Savior and Messiah that will bring salvation to everyone who believes with the faith of Abraham. To which, again, Paul anticipates the Jewish people listening would say, well, then, okay. Well, if our unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly, then what shall we say? That God is unjust in bringing his wrath on us? Paul kind of steps back, afraid of the lightning. I'm using human argument. I didn't, I don't believe what I'm saying. I just trying to, this is what they're thinking. So I'll say it out loud. What they're thinking is, well, then if our unrighteousness makes God look better, then we should just keep being unrighteous because we want God to look good. So that's what we'll do. We'll just keep being unrighteousness to show off God's righteousness. And if we're, if our unrighteousness makes God look good, then why is he mad? If our lack of holiness makes God look holy, then why would he punish us? Isn't he unjust in bringing his wrath on us? Because we're just making him look even better. To which Paul says, certainly not. If that were so, how could God judge the world? If you use that logic that my unrighteousness makes God look good and my unholiness makes God even more holy, then why is God mad? We should just keep on being evil. Paul says if you keep that line of thinking, then no one would ever be judged ever because every sin would just make God look better. In fact, again, that's exactly the argument that Paul anticipates. Some might argue If my falsehood enhances God's truthfulness and so increases his glory, then why am I being condemned as a sinner? If my lying makes God's truthfulness look better, then why is he mad at me for lying? I'm just making him look good. Why not say, as some slanderously claim that we say, Paul talking about himself, well, let us do evil that good may result. Paul says their condemnation is just. Again, the argument goes like this. If our sin makes God look holy, then we should just sin all the more so that God looks even more holy. There are some people in our world who wouldn't say that, but they live like that. Hey, God will forgive all of my sin, so why wouldn't I take advantage of that? Like God's grace is endless. So I don't want to leave any of it on the table. I want him to have to use all of it on me. To which Paul says, that that is slanderous. 
That's slanderous to have that kind of mindset. That is the posture of someone who has done some sort of outward spiritual ritual at some point. That's the posture of someone who's experienced some outward spiritual display. Whether it's they endured the snip snip, they prayed the prayer, they got dunked at camp, they raised a hand, they walked the aisle, they were sprinkled as a baby, they took the class, they memorized the creed, they did some outward thing, but the heart was never changed. Then nothing happened on the inside. This is the heart of someone who did an outward thing but neglected the inward thing. This attitude is not the posture of someone whose heart has been circumcised through their faith by the Spirit. This is not the posture of someone who is walking in faithfulness. Paul says someone who would even consider living like this, he says their condemnation is just. I don't care what outward thing they did. If you want to say that you are in a covenant relationship with God, but you live as if you're not, then your condemnation is just. So, what's the takeaway for us today? I got two. They're a little wordy, so if you want to grab your phone, you can just snap a picture, maybe write it down and contemplate it later. I could not simplify these anymore. I tried. Here they are. Here's the first one. Outward religious rituals that don't come from faith or result in faithfulness will never make you right with God. Whatever outward religious rituals you're doing in your life, if those religious rituals are not coming from your faith and driving you to walk in faithfulness, then they are meaningless. They will not make you right with God. Those outward religious rituals must always be a reflection of the inward reality, but they can never be a replacement for the inward reality. Those religious rituals that you took, they were the starting line of faith. They were not the finish line of faith. They were the starting line. When you prayed the prayer or got baptized or were confirmed, That wasn't the end of your faith journey. That was the beginning of your faith journey. And the expectation is that faith journey then continues to motivate you to walk in faithfulness. Outward religious rituals alone will never make you right with God. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. Outward religious rituals can be a blessing that prepares us for receiving the gospel. Like the Jewish people ask the question, well, then what good is it? What advantage is there in being a Jew? What advantage is there in growing up in a household of faith? What advantage is there? And Paul says much, much in every way. Their question was, well, if being a Jew and getting circumcised doesn't guarantee we're good with God, then what advantage is it? Paul says there's much advantage. For those of you with religious backgrounds, there is much advantage to you. For these religious Jews and for many of us as, who come from religious families, there's much advantage. 
You get to grow up in a family of faith. You were taught to love the Lord, to obey the Lord, to honor his word. You were given an opportunity to have community of faith where you get to worship regularly and practice following Jesus together. You got to learn spiritual disciplines that you got to put in practice that help you get closer with God. All of those outward markers are outward markers of faith in Jesus, and they are a blessing. And in and of themselves, none of them will save you. But when you incorporate them into your life, and when we incorporate them into the lives of our kids and our grandkids, those outward religious rituals, they actually till the soil of their hearts. They break up the fallow ground so that when the gospel seed is spread on their hearts, it actually has the opportunity to put down deep roots and to produce great fruit. It is the good soil. So when the gospel comes for them, it has a place to grow. If you grew up in a Christian home, that was God's gift to you. It won't save you. If you grew up with parents and grandparents who were believers, that was God's gift to you. Their faith won't save you. But when they taught you to read the Bible, when they taught you to pray the prayers, when they took you to church and drug you on a mission trip, when they, when they leveraged their life for the glory of God and gave you a front row seat to see it, that was the, the Lord breaking up the hard ground of your heart so when the gospel comes for you, it has a place to sprout. They are a blessing that prepares us for the gospel. And so parents, grandparents, put them to practice in your life for the sake of your kids and your grandkids so that when the gospel comes for them, you'll get to see it produce fruit. Father God, we are grateful that you're doing an inward work in us that manifests itself outwardly in the way that we live, that you've given us these practices that we can incorporate into our life that are a reflection of what you've done in us. They are not a replacement for what you've done in us. And my prayer today is that all of us we have people around us, friends, neighbors, co-workers, that we have children and grandchildren, a spouse and parents who aren't yet followers, that as they see us practice our faith, that it actually, it actually breaks up the hard ground of their heart so the gospel takes root. Thank you for these gifts. And it's in Jesus we pray, amen. Amen. And thank you so much for joining us today here at the Quad City Podcast. Hey, our desire is that we would each look more and more like Jesus every day, week, month, and year. And we know that that doesn't just come from learning more about him and his word, but by actually applying it to our lives today. We hope that you take this message that you heard today and apply it to your life in a way that makes you honor him. Well, thanks again for joining us today. Be sure to download the Quad City app and we will see you again next time.